0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Cascade Falls. I'm Rosie Hightower, and I own the hotel here. Ow! That's Bubba. He's our town fix-it man. And he has got a big job on his shoulders. Don't you now, Bubba?
1: Yes, ma'am, Ms. Hightower.
0: <laughs> oh, Will you see this Christmas tree here? It's the center of our town, and every year, Bubba gets all the lights on it. Oh. It is a sight to behold, I'm telling you. Of course, it doesn't help he's a little unorganized and a might clumsy, too. Every year, people come from all over just to see our Christmas tree. Why, in years past, we've had a lot of tourists, mostly families. But this year, why, bunches of people are coming down here just to see our tree, you know? It's real interesting to see who comes, and to see who comes back, too. Like, Evie Moore over there, well, she's come back to see her sister, Abby. Nice girls, both of them. They grew up here in town. Turned out real different from each other, though. Evie, she moved herself out of Cascade Falls quite a while back. It's been a long time since she's been home. But you know, she went to the city and married herself a rich doctor, I think. She's come home for Christmas. Let's go see. Well, yeah. Evie! We need go. We need go. Hi! Yeah. How are Hi. you? I'm fine. Oh, Abby. Hello, Miss Hightower. Merry Christmas. Oh. Merry Christmas to this you. This is my favorite time of the year. Oh, it is mine too. I just love it. Uh, and Evie came back. Evie, what brings you to Cascade Falls?
1: For the Christmas Eve celebration, of course. I brought my son. It's a, it's a good memory for me.
0: And what about your husband? I heard you married a doctor, right? Yes. Well, why didn't he come?
1: Oh. Well, Miss Hightower, my my husband is a very important, very busy man. He just can't drop everything and just go as he pleases. His his work is very important to him. Abby, we really need to go shopping. I have a list so long, I need to get a dozen snow globes and half the stores in this town are already sold out. Well,
0: you know, we were not expecting the crowd that we've had this year. Uh, But I would think that if you check over at the post office, Wilbur always keeps a few on hand. Oh, great,
1: great. Then we'll go there.
0: Come, come. Well, but, but I do want to tell you about the news about Irene. Irene? Yes. Miss Martin? Yes, yes, the poor dear. She slipped on the ice and fell a few days ago. She's broke her arm. Oh, no, oh no. and she loves you too so much. She was your Sunday school teacher yeah. when you were in grade school, wasn't yep. she? She. she was. Oh, it would just make her day to see the two of you. Oh, well, maybe we, we can will go. And- we
1: will go if there's time. Now, Abby, we really need to go oh. now. Oh.
0: All right, okay. Miss Hightower, okay. we'll talk bye-bye. Later. Now, later, bye-bye. Now,
1: I have got to get Hi, all of these things right here on this <laughs> list. How
0: are you? Good
2: to see you,
0: Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas, how's your family? Yeah, they're great, it's all excited about the holidays, so much Oh, fun. that's good, I need to run yes, now. Yes, you have to okay. go. Okay, Evie, stop it. I want to see the tree. Wow. Isn't
1: it beautiful? It's nice. Very nice. It's so tall. Okay, done that? Let's go. Hi, Baba. Come on. How are you?
0: Hello. I'm Miss Abby. How are you? I'm fine. I have got do. Are you in to charge do. of the tree again this year? Sure shooting I am. Oh that's great. You're doing such a wonderful job, Baba. Abby, well, thank let's
1: you. go. That's a lot of work. Please.
0: What is wrong
1: with you? Nothing. I just have to get these snow globes, and then I've got to get them in the mail, and you're not helping.
0: Well, I thought you came home to relax.
1: Relax?
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Are you serious? Yes. Oh, Abby, you see? This is what happens when you spend your entire life in a backwards town like Cascade Falls. We are so different. I am busy, I don't have time to just idly stroll down the street and talk to everybody that we meet.
0: Why not? Oh,
1: Abby, you just, you just wouldn't understand. Now, shouldn't we just go to the post office like Rosie said?
0: Evie, what about Irene?
1: What about her?
0: Evie, it's Christmas. Yes,
1: it's Christmas. That's why I need snow globes, honey.
0: But Evie... It's Irene. Do you remember
1: Irene? I remember Irene. She is a sweet old lady, but I need to go to the post office. There's just not enough time to help her right now. You can help her later.
0: Evie, I'm going to go help Irene now.
1: What about me?
0: Well, she's my friend, and she needs my help.
1: I am your sister.
0: Yes, you are. And it's still Christmas. Yes,
1: Christmas. We have established that. You are supposed to help me!
0: Oh, Evie, I am
1: helping you. Fine. I'll do it myself. Oh, no. Excuse me. Excuse me, ma'am. Yes. Mr. Peters isn't here. He has family in town, so he took the day off. There are snow globes in here. I can see them. Oh. Sure enough, I like the one on the right. I'm sure Mr. Peters would be obliged to sell you one just as soon as he gets back. When will that be? Don't rightly know, ma'am. It figures. If you'll excuse me. Have a
0: nice day, ma'am.
1: Have a nice day? This is a horrible day. My head is aching, my feet are killing me. I can't get the snow globes that I want, and to top it all off, my sister wants to be a good Samaritan instead of a good sister. Don't talk to me about having a nice day. Merry Christmas.
2: Well, nothing says stress like Christmas, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year, and it's the birthday of our Lord, and we love it. But what kind of holiday begins with a day called Black Friday? I don't know if any of you got out and got to do any shopping on Black Friday or not, but that's someday, busiest day of the year. And I don't know what your life is like, but even though I love this this season with all my heart, it can be one of the most stressful times of my year, and I have a high-stress personality, so sometimes the Christmas season and me are at odds. There are a lot of things that factor into stress around right about this time of year. For one thing, you know, you've got all the Christmas gifts to buy. I'm told that retailers, some retailers depend on 50% of their business just during the month of December, people getting ready to buy Christmas gifts. And then we have to think about who wants what, and you've got gifts to get for your kids and your friends and the people that you work with. And oftentimes, with Americans, if we don't have the cash in our pocket, we pull the plastic out and then we put stuff on plastic, and we wind up taking years to pay off what we're getting for Christmas. And then sometimes that causes conflict between husbands and wives and moms and dads. It can turn into a real stressful time of the year because of finances. I read this week where General Motors is going to lay off 30,000 employees. We don't have any General Motors plants in our city, but still, it's just representative of the fact that perhaps some of you here today in this service, you don't know whether you're going to have a job at the beginning of this year, and that can add to the stress. And there are other things that factor into it. You know, we get together as families during Christmas, and that's a good thing for a lot of people, but for some of the people, maybe even here today, getting together with your family is not necessarily something that you look forward to. Uh, There may be someone in your family that you have issues with or problems with. And maybe there's someone who creates difficulty for everybody in the house when the family gets together. And, you know, when you watch these commercials about sleighs going through the snow and people getting together, you know, and coming into this big candlelit house, you're saying, that's not my family. I'm more like the Adams family than that. And so you're saying, man, I'm not sure I look forward to getting together with my family this time of the year. And then I struggle, you know, with one of the things that happens in our culture today with all the technology. I mean, it seems like every time I turn on the television, there's this new technology gift that everybody's into. And, and people are trying to find a particular gift. I, I know this year, from what I hear, it's, a, it's an Xbox 360. Now, before you mob the stage, I want you to know this is an empty box. This is not a real Xbox 360. Do you remember when it was Tickle Me Elmo, and then uh, before that, the Cabbage Patch doll? It seems like there's always something. But this year, it's really expensive. And I, I, I read this week where someone waited 28 hours to get one of these. And actually, this particular box was loaned to me by a couple of young men in our church who waited all night to get one of these. They, were, they hoped to get two, but they, they managed to get one. And what they said to me, and they thought this was amazing, considering that we live in a pretty safe city, but the, the security employees for the store accompanied each person who got one of these out to the parking lot. So if you got an Xbox 360, I mean, here we are in a very safe city, and yet security guards had to accompany the buyers out to the car. So it's a stressful time of year, and it's stressful for all of us. Our calendars get full, and we're challenged to be every place we're supposed to be, do everything we're supposed to do, and buy everything that we're supposed to buy so that this is a pleasant Christmas season. All of that to celebrate the birthday of the one who came here to uncomplicate life. He came to simplify our lives. And that's what this series is about. And I hope that in these messages that we're going to have and the dramas and the worship uh, that we're going to experience for the next five weeks, I'm praying that God will help us to simplify our lives before we realize that we can get so cluttered that we can miss out on the most important things. This morning, I'd like to take you to the Bible, to the book of Luke to read a story from the life of Jesus. And in this story, you're going to see an Abby and an Evie. They're two sisters in our story, too, just as there were in the drama. And we're going to see how they interact with Jesus and how our Lord shows them how they can simplify their lives. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 38. The Bible says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, You're worried and upset over many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. As I said a moment ago, I I have a type A personality, and I can get stressed out. I go seven days a week. I'm the kind of person during this Christmas season, as much as I love Christmas, like John Grisham wrote about in his cute little book, I can skip Christmas without even wanting to. I can get so busy doing things that I think I'm supposed to do, that I can miss out on the important stuff. In this little story that we just read, our Lord and the Bible give us three important truths about simplifying our lives. Let me just sort of tell you the story and we'll, we'll warm up to the first one. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he stops by the home of three people, two sisters and a brother. These, these sisters and a brother are, are more than just people that Jesus ministers to. They are close, personal friends. This little town they live in, Bethany, is only two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. So we're led to believe that when Jesus visited Jerusalem, this all-important city to the Jews, he would stay in the home of his three friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So at the beginning of our story, our Lord and his disciples are in this house, and dinner or supper, whatever you call it, is going to be pretty soon. Jesus is in the living room teaching. And Martha is in the back of the house trying to put dinner on the table. Now some of you who are homemakers here today, or for those of you who got ready for Thanksgiving, you might know what it was like to get a meal ready for a bunch of people. It isn't easy. And there were a bunch of people in Martha's home. Not only did she have her own family, but she had Jesus and at least his 12 disciples. Perhaps there were more. Her home was crowded, and she had no electric oven, she had no dishwasher, she didn't have a lot of the labor-saving and time-saving appliances that we have today. Martha had the responsibility of putting dinner on the table for all those people. But suddenly, as Martha stressed out and stretched every direction trying to put dinner on the table, she thinks thinks to herself, where is my sister Mary? And when she looks around to find Mary, guess where she is? Mary is sitting down. Do you know what it feels like to work hard and somebody is sitting down i mean do you work if some of you work in a in, in a workplace where you give it 120 percent and while you're working somebody else is sitting down and it just grates on you doesn't it and you're saying to yourself why is this person sitting while i'm working and that's what happened with martha she walks in there and her sister mary is sitting down listening to jesus while martha's rattling around pots and pans trying to put dinner on the table and she just sort of loses it at that point because of the injustice Now, if there's one thing that will create stress in your life and my life, it's a perceived sense of injustice. If we feel like we're giving our best and someone else isn't giving his best, that will put stress on us. It will anger us. It will keep us awake at night. It will cause us to be unhappy when we're on our way to the office because we know when we get there, somebody else is not going to be pulling his load. It will trouble you when you get together with your family because you'll think other family members don't take things as seriously as you do injustice stresses us and that's what's happening here but we're going to learn our first lesson here from martha and mary about simplifying our life because we're going to start by asking a question and the question is this who is this dinner for is this dinner really for jesus if you had asked martha i think she would have told you it was for jesus but was it really for jesus was it for jesus or was it for martha See, when you read the Bible, there's something that's kind of interesting at the beginning of the story. Although uh, Martha and Mary live with their brother Lazarus, it appears that Mary is the homeowner. It's not uncommon today for women to own their own homes. It was extraordinarily uncommon in Bible days. But this was a lady of means. She was well-known in the community. Her name was on the mailbox. The Bible says it was Martha's house. Martha felt responsible. If this dinner didn't come off, Martha wasn't going to look good. So I think we have to start by asking the question, this dinner that Martha is stressed about, was this really for Jesus or was it for Martha? And before before you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, why do you ask that question? I ask the question because when Martha is unhappy, she chews Jesus out. If the dinner was really for Jesus, why would she chew him out? When she came in there and found her sister listening to Jesus, in effect, she blamed Jesus for Mary not helping her. She said, Lord, In the NLT that I love to read so much, she said, Lord, does it seem fair to you that my sister is sitting here while I'm working? You speak to her. In effect, Lord, it's your fault. You have become a facilitator. You are letting her get by with this. Don't let that happen anymore. Lord, you adopt my sense of justice. See, that's what was going on with Martha here. In effect, she was inferring that her sense of justice was greater than Jesus. Don't we do that sometimes? Lord, why is this happening? I don't understand. I'm faithful to church. I tithe. I I serve you. Those people that seem to be getting along so well, they don't serve you. Here I am serving you, and I have all this difficulty in my life. Just like Martha, sometimes we infer to the Lord that our sense of justice is stronger than his. Martha said to the Lord, you need to speak to my sister, this is your fault, you're allowing this, you're facilitating this injustice. All I'm saying today is there's a fundamental question down below it all, which is, was this dinner for Martha or was it for Jesus? We have to ask that question today too, because a lot of us do a lot of things for a lot of people. We do things for our wives, we do things for our husbands, we do things for our children, we do things for our parents, we do things for the people that we work with. And sometimes we can make ourselves feel like, wow, we're really something because we do all these things for other people. And in doing all these things for other people, we often get stressed out, don't we? Maybe it would do us well to stop for a moment, take a time out and ask ourselves, are the things that I do for other people, is it really for them or is it for me? I mean, those toys that I'm buying for my kids that I'm putting on plastic that I feel like, I am I, am I buying those toys so that my kids will think that I love them or, be, or so that the other families in the neighborhood will think that I really am a good parent? Am, am I spending all this money because I'm really doing it for my kids or am I doing it for me? See, there's a human emotion that stresses us probably more than any other emotion. It's the emotion we call insecurity. I don't feel good. Something in this situation is making me feel threatened. Less of a man, less of a woman, less of a person. All of us deal with insecurity at some level, and insecurity threatens us more than perhaps any other emotion because it will harm us and it will make us harm others. Now, here's a principle for life. We tend to be insecure in any area that tends to define us culturally. If there's something that you feel like you're supposed to be, then you have a tendency toward insecurity there for instance let's let's talk let's narrow this down and talk to men for a moment men typically draw culturally their sense of identity from what they do for a living and that's not really true i mean you're not what you do for a living but that's how men deal with each other if you're in a group within a group of men and what's the first question men ask each other what do you do for a living because that tends to define us culturally what happens when we don't feel like we earn as much as we should be earning, or we don't have a high enough profile job that we feel that we should have? We can get together with a group of guys, and if we don't, you know, if we don't have a certain title or a company car or a certain amount of income or a job with a parking space, we can begin to feel like that we're less of a person. That puts stress on us. And Sometimes it's a challenge for us guys to realize that we, we're not what we do. My son Jared was telling me he gave me a little quote. I I'd never heard it before, but I thought it was so good. He said, "A lot of people think that you are what you do." He said, "You do what you are." And that's a great thing for all of us men to remember. I was reading a story about a guy, 41 years old, educated Andover—not our Andover—but educated the Northeast at Andover and Yale. He had he, he had you know a number of degrees. He was a widely knowledgeable man, and he got a high-paying job. But he walked away from it to pickle for a living. That's the truth. That's a fact, to pickle. I mean, he pickles vegetables, cucumbers, peppers, just anything that can be pickled, that's what he does. And he goes to these these parties in the Northeast, you know, where all the elite and the intelligentsia meet together, and they ask him, what do you do for a living? He said, I pickle. And they said, come on, tell us what you really do. He said, no, that's a fact. I pickle. I pickle. And here's what he said. He said, life is so complicated and so stressed. He said, there's something rewarding about just taking a cucumber, putting it in a jar, pouring hot vinegar over it, closing it up, and going to do something else. Well, I don't think that's a great way to use your life up, but I'm saying we need to stop for a moment, fellas, and realize that we're, it's not about what we do. Life is deeper than that, but that's an area that tends to define us culturally, and there's a fast track to insecurity there if we're not careful. For some of you ladies, you know, I I talk to especially young ladies who live in a culture where beauty is deified. And one of the challenges that I see when I listen to young women talk about the challenge about how that beauty identifies them culturally is like the standard is always changing. I mean, this kind of look is in one moment, another kind of look is in, and and, and I've talked to many very attractive ladies who felt like they were ugly because they didn't measure up to some image on a movie screen or to some pasty-faced model walking down a runway. But see, that's where we tend to be insecure, in some area that identifies us culturally. Probably nobody struggles with this more than moms, because our world today demands so much from moms. Many of you who are moms, you not only rear your kids, and that's a challenge because, you know, you think, man, my kids are not perfect. Does anybody have perfect kids? Well, yeah, the people on the other side of the auditorium over there, they have perfect kids. No, they don't. And beyond that, our kids are all different. Just as soon as you think you figured it out with one kid, the next kid's totally different. And then you've got to have them at soccer practice and ballet and all the different activities, and you've got to make sure they're educated and healthy and fed and clothed. And many of you moms beyond that, you have a career on top of things, and you're always feeling like you never measure up. I'm just wanting to remind us all today that we tend toward insecurity in any area that tends to define us culturally. And that's what was going on with Martha. She was, as she felt by culture, expected to have dinner on the table. She was supposed to have a meal there for everybody, and it wasn't working out. And so she was upset and stressed over those things. As I was preparing for this sermon, though, I began to think about, suppose Martha doesn't get the dinner on the table. What's the worst case scenario? I mean, after all, the guy who was in there in her living room teaching, he has demonstrated a rather remarkable propensity for bringing food out of no place. I mean, he was the same guy who took five loaves and two fish and fed 20,000 people. I'm from the South, man. Fish and cornbread works for me. If that's what we're having, that'll work. And yet Martha's in there rattling around, upset, stressed. Let me show you another lesson that I pick up from this. Look down in verse 40. The Bible says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Now, I struggle enough with English without going back to the original language, which is Greek for the New Testament here, but I'm gonna go back to the Greek language just to borrow a direct meaning of this word that Jesus used when he said to Martha, You worried about many things. The Greek word there actually means dragged around. That's a colorful word. Actually, we have a pretty common equivalent in our, in our jargon today. We talk about being jerked around. And that's what Jesus said to Martha. He said, Martha, you're, you're just dragged around by many things. Now, I have to tell you right out of the box, I'm not exactly sure what Jesus meant. might have been one of two things. And since we don't know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the two possibilities are because it could, could well be that somebody here will deal with one of these two. It could have been that when Jesus said, Martha, you're dragged around by many things, he could have been just saying, that's your personality, Martha. <laughs> you just allow stuff to drag you around. Hey, I'm like that. Are you? I have a type A personality. I, I'm just always feeling the pressure in my life to live up to expectations And before I realize it, I can let many things pull me down and drag me around. And and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in doing many things. It's just we have to be careful about allowing ourselves to be dragged around to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. So it could have just been that Jesus was saying, Martha, that's your personality type. You allow yourself to be dragged around. Some of us who are stressed here today, you say, well, I don't have any choice. But we do. It's just that's our personality type. Now, it could have been something else. It might have been more than just a personality thing. There are Bible scholars who think that this particular story in the book of Luke is pretty much the same supper that occurs in the gospel of John chapter 11. In John 11, Jesus is having dinner at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house on another occasion so perhaps it was the same dinner perhaps it was different but some bible teachers think that it's the same dinner if it was when jesus said to martha you're being dragged around by many things it could have had another meaning by john 11 you read about how that martha and mary's brother lazarus had gotten sick and martha and mary had fired off a message to jesus saying please come and heal, and they didn't even call him Lazarus. He was such a good friend of Jesus. They just said, the one you love. Would you come heal him? Please come help him. But for reasons known only to Jesus and his father and the Holy Spirit, Jesus stayed right where he was and Lazarus died. And you know the story how that Martha and Mary had had to make the funeral preparations. They'd taken their brother out to the grave. They buried him. They had mourners in their home. And all of a sudden, Jesus showed up. And Martha rushed out of the house, and being type A as she was, she went straight to the Lord and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you know the rest of the story, how that Jesus led the entourage out to the grave, and he called Lazarus' name. And Lazarus came out of the grave and went back home. And by the time you get to John 11, where Jesus is in Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, all this has happened. Now, it could have been that if this was the case, and the story that we're reading about in Luke 10 is the same story, and I don't know that it is, but if it was the same story, think about the stress that Martha had been under. Her brother had gotten sick. She had had to take care of him. She had hoped every day that Jesus would come. There were no cell phones. The Lord couldn't say, Martha, I'm not going to be there for several days. She went to the door and the window perhaps every few minutes hoping to see Jesus come down the lane. And then she had watched her brother die. She had performed the funeral arrangements. She had overseen the funeral. She had taken care of guests in her home. And then beyond that, Jesus had come and raised her brother back to life. And although that was a positive thing, I'm sure it still created stress in her life. And now she had all these people in her home. It could have been that Jesus was saying to Martha, Martha, you just got so much stuff going on in your life right now. I'm not sure which. And I'm kind of glad that we don't know because it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Because some of us here today, you're like like Martha's personality and you just let stuff drag you around. Others of you today are going through a particular season in your life where so many things are putting stress on you. You feel like Martha and you say, "Lord, I'm overwhelmed. It's just washing over me." The third thing I want to talk to you about today is what do you do when life is dragging you around? Take your Bibles one more time. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I've been thinking and planning for today's message for months. There's one word in this text that I can't get away from. It just is everything to me about understanding this story. It's the word chosen. Martha is rattling around pots and pans trying to put on a dinner that will make her feel better about who she is as a person. Mary, on the other hand, has stopped to take care of internals. And by the way, every one of us has to do that. We have to stop to take care of our inner person because trust me, if our inner person is not in a right relationship with our Lord, it's going to affect all our relationships. And the Bible says Mary had chosen that. Mary had chosen to take care of what was in her heart. I think about this every time I fly. When you're a passenger on an aircraft, all of you who are parents and you have small children flying with you and the flight attendant begins to give that obligatory speech about what happens, and don't you love this part? You know, if we get in trouble, we're up in the air. I love that part. I'm a little bit of a white-knuckle flyer anyway. And she says the oxygen masks will drop out. If the cabin loses pressure, oxygen masks will drop out. And she shows you how to put them on, or he shows you how to put them on. If you're flying with small children, who do you put the mask on first? It would seem like you would put it on your child first, right? Because you want to take care of your children, you care about them. But the flight attendant will tell you, first of all, put the mask on yourself because if you lose consciousness, how are you going to be able to help your child? I think that's what was going on here. Mary knew how much she needed the Lord. She knew how much she needed to take care of what was on the inside. She wanted dinner to be on the table as much as anybody else, but she had to stop for a moment and take care of internals. David Gibbs was here last week. And David and I went to dinner after the service, and we were just talking about some sad stories that we both knew about. Pastor friends, minister friends who had fallen, gotten into sin, and were out of the ministry. And David said, Mark, he said, I've been there many times to counsel with men who were like that. And here's what he said. This this is about pastors. Men who stood before people like I stand before you. He said, in every situation where a man has gotten into trouble morally, he said, when I've been there to ask him how did it happen, he said, on every occasion I hear the same thing. I got so busy doing the work of the church, I forgot to tend to my relationship with the Lord. And that can happen in all of our lives. In the early service, we had the high school, and I shared with the high school something that I wish I had been taught more when I was young. You know, when I was young and I would go to youth conferences and youth meetings, I would have ministers stand before me and say, you have to choose between right and wrong. You have to choose between good and bad. And that is so true. But folks, most of my tough choices in life haven't been between right and wrong or good and bad. My most difficult decisions have been between what is good and what is best. You know, you can mess your life up. You can stress yourself out doing good stuff. That's what Jesus said to Martha. Mary has made a choice. Martha, you're doing, it's a good thing to make dinner for Jesus. It was a noble thing. If, if it was indeed the same story as John chapter 11, by this time Jesus is a hunted fugitive. It was a bold thing for Martha to make a dinner for our Lord. Very good thing. But he said to her, Mary... Has chosen what is better. Mary has made a choice. Now, here's, you say, Well, Mark, how do I know what the difference is between something good and something better? Well, Jesus thankfully lays it out for us here. He gives us a criteria. He said to Martha, Mary has chosen the thing that's permanent. Mary has chosen the thing that won't be taken away from her. Now, inferred in that was dinner is going to come and it's going to go. That's one thing Jesus kept saying over and over, sometimes rather graphically. He was just saying, you eat dinner, that's the end of it. I mean, that's, it's good, it meets your needs for a while, but it's not lasting. And our Lord was saying to Mary, Martha rather, that Mary had chosen that thing in her life which was permanent. And I have to be honest with you today and say that many of the things that have stressed me out have been I've been going after things that might have been good, but they were temporary. They were not lasting in nature. For instance, some of you moms and dads are stressed out about trying to find that Xbox 360 for your children when in reality what they would like most is some of your time, some of your attention. Some of you husbands, are, you're scanning the jewelry stores to find this incredible knock-your-socks-off gift that you see in the commercial, a big old diamond, and thinking that that's, that's what it's about. And a lot of ladies are saying, watch it, Pastor. Be careful here now. <laughs> You've quit preaching now. <laughs> no, I, I, there are many wives who would love to just have their husband's time and t- attention. Same with wives and husbands. I remember one time counseling a family, a husband and wife. Their marriage was about to break up, and they were just both the the nicest people in the world, good people. And the guy was a workaholic, and he, he had provided his wife basically a mansion to live in. They had luxury cars in the garage. And when I would talk to this wife, she would say, I just... He never gives me himself. When I would talk to him, he would say, but I give her everything. I remember talking to him one time. I said, tell me about what life was like when you grew up. And he began to tell me about how he'd grown up dirt poor, dirt floors, nothing, having to go to school, being embarrassed about the clothes he wore. It suddenly hit me. He, he was trying to meet his family's needs based on his own insecurities that he developed as a young person, as a child. And he was losing what mattered most. He was choosing the temporary over the permanent. And we can do that, too. You now, to illustrate this, there's something that I guess every, every parent here has experienced. At least I've experienced it. I know that. And, and most of us have experienced it when we were children. How, how many of you have bought that gift for your child that your child just absolutely had to have? I mean, they would open up the catalog. You know what it's like when the Christmas catalog, parents, you know what it's like when you open it up? It goes automatically to one page, you know? Because it's just been opened so many times. The spine of the catalog is damaged because, you know, your son or your daughter just goes right to this. this one thing thou lackest, I have to have this. And they talk about it all the time. You go to the mall, they go right to it like it's magnetized. And they say, oh, this is what I want. Did you know? And be sure to get this one. And you buy it for them. And you wrap it up and you put it on the tree and there's that beautiful box and you know you're excited because you think well I can't wait till I can't wait till my son or my daughter opens this and they're, gonna, they're just gonna love it and you know and, and, the, and your kid comes around the Christmas tree and they kind of rattle the box over. they say is this it is this that is this that thing that I want so much Then Christmas morning comes and you've seen this scenario play out time and time again if you're a parent your child opens up the gift takes it out plays with it for a little while, and 40 minutes later, they're playing with the box. (laughs) Did you know that the National Toy Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York, inducted three new toys into their Hall of Fame for 2005? You know what they were? The little box card game Candyland, the the jack-in-the-box, and an empty cardboard box. That's right. Because children love playing with the box so much. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I slept through too many psychology classes in college. But I, I, I'm wondering today, why do you think children love to play with, em, with the empty box after they've wanted this toy for so long? I think there's something pretty deep there. Because see, before the box is open, that box, when it's all wrapped, it communicates anticipation. It communicates satisfaction if I get this I'm gonna be happy but then little Johnny or Susie opens the box and they discover that it doesn't make them happy and they go back to playing with the box that represents anticipation and little Johnny and Susie are a whole lot like their parents aren't they because we think when we get this house or this car, or this job, or this woman, or this man will be happy. And we open the box, and we're not happy, and we go back to playing with the box. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to Martha. Martha You're dragged around by that box. You're dragged around by what you think you're going to get. Mary has chosen that thing which is permanent. So, this morning, as we get ready for this Christmas season, and I love this season, I love this series. It's a great time for us to stop and ask ourselves a question. The things that I'm choosing, the things that I'm focusing on in my life, are they permanent things or are they temporary things? Am I focused on my children or their toys? Am I focused on my wife or the gift? Am I focused on the people in my life or am I focused on how I'm going to feel if I let everybody down? I can't end the sermon today without getting very specific. Because Mary hadn't just chosen something that was permanent. She chose something specific that was permanent. She chose her relationship with Jesus Christ. She had Jesus in her living room. She, she, I mean, dinner was important, but she had Jesus in her living room. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, was standing in her living room talking about stuff that was more important to her than anything else. And Mary had decided, whatever happens, whatever we have, whatever we don't have, I'm focusing on Jesus. And I love that because, see, most people are just the opposite. There's something peculiar about Jesus. It seems like throughout the history of the world, people have always walked past him Because they were stressed about stuff. You know, church, if you have to wait until you have time to spend time with Jesus, you'll never have time to spend time with Jesus. I'm talking to a lot of people here today or watching by television, and you say, Mark, I just don't have time to spend time with the Lord. I don't have time to read the Bible, don't have time to pray and talk to God. I'm so busy. Well, you'll always be. I mean, if Jesus has to wait until you get through with all the stuff that makes you busy, you'll never have time for him. By the way, don't you find it interesting that, after all, he keeps the universe together and he wants to spend time with you? You talk about busy. I mean, the Bible says he holds everything together, and yet he wants to spend time with you. But the, the curious thing is that people have walked past him, just like Martha walking past him to get dinner. Or the innkeeper on that night when Jesus was born. I'm sure he was a good man. He was just stressed, and he didn't have time to spend time with the first family. Or just like you and me, who claim to be followers of Jesus, who get up in the morning and rush off to work and never take time to spend time with Jesus. I want to encourage you today to think about this and say, Lord, during this Christmas season, I don't want to skip my relationship with you. I don't want to get so busy and stressed out about things that I don't have time for the one that the celebration is all about. Let's pray.